0: There's nothing worth more That will ever Scripture this morning is from Acts chapter 2 verses 1 through 13. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, Are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? How then is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? some however made fun of them and said they have had too much wine the word of the lord you may be seated
1: well as i was preparing for this message i was thinking about the significance of pentecost and here's what i came up with we would not be here if the holy spirit hadn't come upon the first followers of jesus that day we would not have the spirit's presence with us we would not have been; the church would not have been sustained these many centuries. And we would not be here worshiping today without that event that occurred that day. Pentecost is an event that occurred during a festival that took place as part of the Jewish uh, religious system. It was one of the three great festivals that all Jews were meant to come and celebrate in Jerusalem. And what we see here in and through this festival, this feast is that every follower of Jesus, and this is our foundational truth, can be enabled by the Spirit to proclaim the wonders of God in a way that other people understand. Let me say it again. Every follower of Jesus can be enabled by the Spirit to proclaim the wonders of God in a way that other people can understand. You see, you have a story with Jesus. And you have the story of Jesus. And you have the ability to share that story because the Spirit enables you to do that. One of our kids shared with one of their parents something that was shared with me just this morning. They said, you know, just this last week, my daughter was sharing, it's really hard to share Jesus. And she was talking about with her classmates in conversation. And it's true, especially apart from the Holy Spirit, enabling us to speak words of life, enabling us to speak words of truth. So what we see right from the beginning in this message is one of the primary points of the Spirit's empowerment is the Spirit is the one who enables us to witness, to share, to present the good news that the experience of the Holy Spirit isn't just for us and an end in and of itself. Our experience, our being filled with the Spirit is meant to have the fruit of faithful and Spirit-empowered witness. Why did the Spirit come that day? Luke describes the miracle of the coming of the Holy Spirit with its accompanying signs in four short verses. But it came on the day of Pentecost because of what that festival represented. It was celebrated the 50th day after the Passover and was originally the festival of first fruits of the grain harvest. It was called the Feast of Weeks because it came at the end of a period of seven weeks of harvesting that began with the offering of the first barley sheaf during the Passover celebration. By the time of the first century in Jesus' day, though, however, it was considered the anniversary of the giving of the Law of Moses at Sinai. So it was a time of the annual renewal, so just as the harvest is being celebrated and the renewal of the earth is being celebrated, the people of God celebrated the giving of the law to Moses, which guided and directed God's people. For Luke, the coming of the Spirit upon the early Christians at Pentecost is not just parallel to the Spirit's coming upon Jesus at his baptism, it also shows that the mission of the church, as was the ministry of Jesus, is dependent upon the Holy Spirit. And it is in line with God's desire to fill and to use his people throughout time. You see, just as a law Moses was given and was meant to, to uh, inspire and impart vision and direction for life for the people of God, now the Holy Spirit is imparted and a relationship with God is renewed like no other previously possible. Not just an external law, not just words to live by are imparted now to the people of God, but the very person of the Holy Spirit comes and fills God's people and invigorates them for life and ministry. You see, Pentecost brought the apostles what they needed for their special role as Jesus' witnesses. If Jesus had appointed them to be his primary and authoritative witnesses throughout the world, he now gave the empowerment through the presence of his spirit to carry it out. This was a new age and a new era, an unrepeatable event, but that has had significant impact and continued relevance for us today. For The Holy Spirit fills the people of God to empower them to carry out the mission of God. It is Luke's task in this way to prevent us from becoming mere spectators of Jesus, fans of the message. One writer once talked about the fact that we are not fans of Jesus, we are followers of Jesus. You might be a fan of many athletes, musicians, various things, but it's different from being a follower. A follower is one who's seeking to do what your leader did, to allow them to guide you And direct you. What Luke wants us to do is get out of the stand, so to speak, get off the bench and get in the game. And he's saying the Holy Spirit is the one that enables us to do that. You see, the good news is not just that the story of Jesus occurred, but it's that the story of Jesus doesn't end with Jesus, it continues and it lives in those who believe in him. The supernatural doesn't stop with Jesus. We believe that the power and the gifts of the Spirit are still alive and active and at work in believers and in churches today. And that, friends, is good news. Luke makes it clear that he wrote then more about how we can continue to engage as the church than just about a specific event. He's wanting to show that just as those first followers were filled with the Spirit, followers of Jesus can continue to be activated by God living in them and moving in them. And that includes us today. So if the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost, and if it was the fulfillment of the end of this stretch between Passover, and if it included the Feast of Weeks and the imagery of the harvest, why then? It was because the Holy Spirit empowering those first followers of Jesus was going to lead to a worldwide harvest of people who would come to know him. Just as there was a harvest of wheat, and I think I've got a picture, Dave, you can put up of a wheat harvest. There's meant to be a harvest of souls that occurred. And the amazing thing is if you unpack or if you follow the rest of the New Testament, what we see is Paul and other followers of Jesus going into the very spaces and places and to the people who were touched that first Pentecost day. Paul didn't go to places and initiate something. He went into places where God was already at work because he had transformed people on the day of Pentecost. There was already a witness in those places, believers who had gone out from Jerusalem and spread the good news that Jesus had resurrected from the dead and Jesus had released the power and presence of the Holy Spirit and that he was alive and at work today and in their day and in their spaces and places. Paul and others then moved into those spaces and places and joined God in what he was doing there. That's good news for us because we don't then go into spaces and places as a witness to initiate something new. We go, empowered by the Holy Spirit, into places and spaces and people's lives where God is already at work. God chose this Pentecost time then to fulfill his promise and his prophecy. That he would fulfill the, the promise given in Joel and other places of pouring out his Holy Spirit. Not just for one given work, but as a permanent presence and possession in our lives. You see, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit often came upon particular time, at particular places for specific or particular purposes. But now, at Pentecost... The Holy Spirit comes upon people, rests upon them, as we sang in the first song. Holy Spirit, come, rest upon us. Don't just come and enable us to do a given work and then go. No, come, rest upon us, abide with us, rest in us, do life with us, and lead us and guide us throughout the whole of our lives. When that occurs, we find ourselves moved by the Holy Spirit at various times, and sometimes in ways that we honestly can't explain. Sometimes it comes simply when we're leaving a supermarket and we have some groceries that we don't need all of, and we see somebody in need, and we're prompted by the Holy Spirit to go back and offer them something. I had an experience yesterday. I was down in San Jose celebrating uh, my nephew's graduation from St. Francis High School on my way back to my brother's house where the party was going to continue. And I was prompted by the Holy Spirit to make a visit to a gal who had played a formative role in my life, who I knew had fallen recently and broken her hip, and who might need encouragement. The Holy Spirit prompted me right as the exit for her house was coming. You need to go visit Sharon. And sometimes, to be honest, like you, I don't always follow the Spirit's prompting. As part of what Greg led us in confession, you feel that nudge, but ah, I don't, that must just be, you know, a weird, wild thought. It must be something that, ah, okay, you know, that, that must, that's not God. I just, I got a schedule. I'm keeping on with my day. But there are other times where we feel those nudges and those promptings. And we know that the Holy Spirit is calling us to move in a certain way and engage in ministry in a certain way. And it's the Spirit that empowers us to do that. By the way, Luke notes the arrival of the Spirit at Pentecost. He's marking this as a key event in salvation history. Pentecost, the Feast of First Roots, was the most appropriate time for the Spirit to come because I said, as I said, it notes that not only did the Holy Spirit come and move in Jesus' birth, not only did the Holy Spirit come upon him at baptism, but now the Holy Spirit comes upon his church at harvest time in order to go out and be heart. Of the harvest as Bruce Larson notes the miracle of the church is that it defies human manipulation there is no way to account for the survival and growth of the church apart from the fact that the Holy Spirit himself called the church into being and continues to empower and enable us was it a coincidence? that the Holy Spirit would bring, the power the, ho- the disciples needed to be witnesses on the day of Pentecost, at the celebration of the harvest? I don't think so. And I think to believe today that the Holy Spirit still comes to invite us to be part of the harvest of souls. So note how the Spirit enabled various aspects of this experience. And the first part is the Spirit enabled community. Note that the, all of the disciples were together in one place. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated on each of them, and all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. You see, when the days of waiting were over, Jesus had, had resurrected. He had appeared to them over 40 days. He had ascended into heaven, and he said, Wait here in Jerusalem. Wait for the gift of the Spirit that will come upon you. And 10 days later, he came. The waiting ultimately was now over. The fulfillment of Jesus' promise had occurred. But I wondered if they had disobeyed what would have happened. I wondered if they, if they had stopped gathering together how the Holy Spirit would have come or the way it would have worked. Maybe He stood, would have still fallen upon individual lives and power, empowered particular people. But I truly believe there is something significant about the community obeying Jesus' call to stay together and stay connected even after all they had been through and the empowerment of the Spirit that they experienced. You see, there's power, church, when we gather together. The Holy Spirit moves as we sing. I might walk in feeling discouraged, but then I, I hear one of your voices singing behind me, and I'm encouraged and empowered in my own worship. I hear somebody else leading in prayer and my own prayers are evoked or empowered. We need each other and we are called to stay connected as a community. And the Holy Spirit uniquely fills and empowers communities, not just people. Yes, it is a personal experience. Each one of you who have accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I believe, has experienced a, a personal Pentecost, a revival, so to speak, a renewal of heart and mind and soul as the Holy Spirit has made his home in you. But he also fills us corporately. Just think of the beauty we experience both in an, a personal voice when we hear a Dan or a Jessica sing or Rob, but then when we hear our choir sing. The Spirit empowers persons people, individuals, but there's power and joy in hearing the community of our choir sing together, those joined voices that that encourage us and inspire us when they sing. Similarly, we are meant to be encouraged and inspired as a community of faith, joined together and filled by the power of the Holy Spirit. The gifts of the Spirit are released to people, and they're used in community to inspire and equip and ultimately build up the church. We are built up and encouraged when each of us use the gifts that we have been personally and individually given. And what happens is when people use those gifts, when they sing, when they pray, when they preach, When they lead, when they serve, when they do good works, practical acts of service, in all those ways, we see the Spirit's presence kind of manifest among us. There were three ways that the Spirit's presence was was made uh, manifest or were they aware of the Spirit that day. It says, suddenly, Luke says, the great event took place and the Spirit of God came upon them. And in three ways, they knew that that was true. First, there was a sound. Then there was sight and then strange speech. The sound came from heaven like the blowing of a violent wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. The wind was often a sign of the presence and power of the Holy Spirit uh, throughout the Old Testament. Ezekiel on the mountain, excuse me, Elijah on the mountain, here's the still small voice of God after wind had come through. Other times, wind, the ruach of God in the Hebrew, is what fills and inspires the dry bones of Ezekiel. When he was in the desert and wondering whether God could breathe life into his people again. It was the wind of God's spirit that Judaism looked forward to. And ushering in the, the spirit age and the fullness of, of the messianic age. And so when the spirit comes, Jews would say, this is it. This is what was meant to come true. This is now God fulfilling his promise. Jesus himself said in John 3.8, The wind blows wherever it wishes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. The sound of the Spirit in the wind's movement was a sign and seal of God's presence. I'm thankful for the people who decided to put wind chimes and a tree in a cemetery where my daughter Kylie is buried. And there have been many times when I've been at her gravestone, and I've wondered about God's presence and the mystery of Kylie's life and passing, And then all of a sudden, the wind blows through the tree right near. And the wind chimes, tinkle, and make their sound. And I'm reminded once again that God is still with me. And that he, Kylie, is with her. And my faith and my hope is renewed. There have perhaps been various times... Where the wind came and you wondered what God was up to because it was a storm. And you're wondering, okay, Lord, is my house going to hold up? Or are my trees going to stand? It's a big question in our era, air, uh, area, correct? But there are other times when the wind blows and we hear its sound, we see its movement, and we are reminded that God is with us still. The first tangible sign was audible, the sound of the wind. The second was visual. It says that there was what looked like, visually looked like tongues of fire that came and rested upon them. There was a visible manifestation of the presence of the Spirit of God. Visibly, he could be seen. It was a sign of sound, but also of sight. I like the folks that are organizing the fun aspects of our congregational meeting. They call it seeing, as in C-S-E-A, is believing. So that's how they incorporated the beach theme. But the idea is we're going to get to come together next Sunday and celebrate what God's doing. See, manifest, inform new elders and deacons being called into ministry. People whom the Holy Spirit has called. And also celebrate those who have served this church well and honor the work that God has done in and through them. You've heard that phrase, seeing is believing. And for some, seeing the manifest presence of the Holy Spirit through the tongues of fire being coming and resting on each of them was enough to convince them. And certainly, fire would have been a, a familiar sign of God's presence that would have evoked a lot of Old Testament imagery. And even in the New Testament... John the Baptist in Luke 3.16 says, He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. John had said that fire, the sign of fire, would would accompany the Spirit's presence. Others familiar with the Old Testament would remember other signs and seals of God's presence. For instance, the climax of the great power encounter between Elijah and the prophets of Baal was fire falling upon Elijah's offering. The Fire was a sign that God was present. Similarly, Moses experienced God's presence in the burning bush, in the fire, in that bush that did not go out. And so similarly, the presence of the Holy Spirit a sign of the presence of the Spirit was the presence of a visible fire in some way. And it was a sign and seal of the ongoing permanent presence of God with each one. But what does the Holy Spirit do in that? In coming, in wind, and in fire, and filling them, and using them? He empowers them and gives them language and voice to their experience. I love the hymn, O oh, for a Thousand Tongues to Sing. Hear him, ye deaf, his praise, ye dumb, ye you, you loosen tongues, employ. Ye blind, behold, your saviors come, and leap, ye lame for joy. God is the one who loosens our tongues, who employs them in his service, who gives us the words to say and when to say it. In fact, there's a point where Jesus is speaking, recall with his disciples, and he's talking about his impending death. and. And their experience apart from him. And he tells them that you're going to be in spaces and places where you're going to be nervous and scared and afraid. You're going to be hauled before religious courts and judges. And he says at those times, don't be afraid of what to say. Because you will be given what to say. Friends, sometimes it's just opening our voice. And allowing God to take over. Sometimes it's speaking the first word. And finding your speech inspired by another. One who takes over and gives you the words to say. And don't we need those words in a variety of settings? It can be when we're witnessing to the truth of Jesus. We're sharing our faith in Him. And we find the Holy Spirit giving us words and language that helps the other person understand the truth of Jesus. Sometimes it's in settings of grief and loss and even in the midst of all that i've been through in life and with the experience that i've had and being present with people i still don't know what to say and given its instances and it's in the elevator before i knock on the person's door that i pray holy spirit of god enable me to listen well but also inspire my speech and give me the words to say to this person that they need to hear We can praise God for the work of the Holy Spirit and ask Him to teach us to understand and rely more and more on His movement in our lives. There have been many times in the history of the church where the church generally may seem dead and people might wonder, how is the church of Jesus Christ going to continue? But always at that moment, when it seems like it is most dead and most in need of revival, out of its body comes the inspiration of the Spirit and a springing to new life. God renews His church again and again and again. He gives breath to dry bones when we're tired and weary as his followers where we wonder how we're going to be able to continue when it feels like we are without hope the Holy Spirit of God comes and fills us and encourages us and enables us to keep going because it happened that day at Pentecost it can happen and does happen every day when we allow the Holy Spirit of God to come and to fill us when we are reminded that He is not, the Spirit is not a doctrine or a force, He is a person whom we can relate to and enjoy and do life with. And when we allow Him to lead us and guide us, we become like those that Jesus prayed about when He said the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray to the Lord of the harvest and ask Him to send out laborers into His harvest. And guess who the answer to that prayer is? It's you. When you're praying about God sending someone to talk to that relative or friend, he most often uses you as the answer to your own prayers. And I know we can be fearful and afraid. We can wonder how to speak to our own personal experience. Sometimes we think, oh, my testimony's not as great as that other person who... Uh, overcame grief or overcame addiction. Your story is your story. And God wants you to tell your story. And God enables you to share your story. We are a spirit-enabled community, but we're also a spirit-enabled and have a spirit-enabled witness. God enabled, the spirit enabled them to speak in other tongues, to draw people together, to hear the good news in a language that they would understand. And that's the pivotal point for me. It's not just about giving language. It's not just about the Holy Spirit and the gift of the Spirit enabling them to speak. But it's that God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, enabled them to speak words that other people could hear and receive and understand. You see, God is the one who makes that connection. God is the one who doesn't just give you language and voice to share your experience, but does it in ways that other people can receive. And that witness draws together community, just as it drew together community at Pentecost. As many people have noted, Pentecost and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit and giving the the first disciples these words which drew people together reversed the curse that occurred at the Tower of Babel when human beings thought they could get together and build something great on their own strength their ability apart from God. And God confused their languages and separated them because they were using community for evil purposes and their own pride and privilege. But now... Followers of Jesus are empowered through the Holy Spirit and draw together a community because language is given for them to share their experience. And other people see and want to know about what they have and what they see and what they can now celebrate. That each one of us can experience the presence of the Holy Spirit and companionship with the Spirit when we are willing to receive him. You see, just as the Spirit enabled community and enabled witness, it's the Holy Spirit that enables response. There, people said, we hear the, the words in our own native language. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. And they're amazed and perplexed. What does this mean? And the disciples had an opportunity to share what it meant. And fearful followers of Jesus like Peter who had just denied Jesus and walked away are now inspired to preach one of the best sermons recorded in history where 3,000 people received and believed because they heard it in their own language and they heard Peter explain it. You see, God took steps to contextualize the gospel to help share it in a way that people could understand. And I truly believe that God still does today. The question and application is this. How should we respond to the work of the Spirit in our midst? Are we going to respond in a way where we feel inconvenienced? Lord, I've got a schedule today, and stopping and bringing that person the extra groceries just doesn't fit. Lord, I've got a graduation to party to get. I can't stop and visit that elderly lady who broke her hip. Or we can say, yes, Lord. You want me to go? And I'll go. And if I go at your prompting, I know and trust that you're going to show up. And you're going to enable me to give the words to say. And you're going to enable me to give, have the words to pray. Friends, the good news is Pentecost wasn't just a one-time experience in terms of the empowerment of the Holy Spirit the good news is it's an experience we can have today that the the spirit is not limited to any race or group of people and it wasn't just reserved for a one-time filling of the people of God that first day rather God comes today and God moves among us and God still transforms hearts and lives when we're open to his work The good news is we can be a spirit-enabled community with a spirit-enabled witness that can lead to a spirit-enabled response on the part of those who would receive and believe. And friends, that is indeed good news. Amen? Amen. Pentecostal fire,
0: stirring something new you're not gonna run out of miracles anytime soon Resurrection power runs in my veins too I believe there's another miracle here in this room This is the sound that on's round This is the praise make a dead man walking Open the grave, I'm coming out I'm gonna live, gonna live again This is the sound of dry bones rattling